difficult, 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 Sharing a mic. An inch away from each other <laughs> because we're sharing a microphone because we have a guest today. Yeah. But before we introduce our guest, we should probably introduce ourselves. Okay. I'm Katie. <laughs> I'm Marie. We're in doing the podcast. We're in a podcast. We're inside your podcast, <laughs> Difficult Women, right now. Yes, folks, you're listening to Difficult Women Podcast. And we're in a band called reformed whores you looked you at me did it. i guessed it right you did it <laughs> ding dong wow i feel like i feel your breath on my face <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i don't know i don't know what to do about it <laughs> no we're just gonna keep it going uh we only have two microphones so that's why katie and i are basically kissing because we have a very special guest today and uh we're gonna be talking about something that uh it happened like years ago. 20 years ago. <laughs> still, yeah, it's still, still topical. Topic. Well, today we have a really special guest that's going to talk to us about this cool topic. And our guest today is Brooke Rogers. Hello, welcome. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Well, actually, we're in your house. You are in my apartment. <laughs> so, thanks for having me. my couch. I love having you here. And thank you for the pumpkin beer. Yes. I, am gonna, yeah. I was saving to open it. it. Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, I'll yeah. actually open mine yes. too. Yeah, party at Brooks. Woo! Yeah, we thought we'd sit around, drink pumpkin beer, and talk about Monica Lewinsky. Lewinsky. Why not? So the reason why we have Brooke on the podcast talking about Monica Lewinsky is she wrote this really incredible article uh, in the Washington Examiner about uh, Lewinsky and the scandal and all that. She Brooke is a writer. And she has her own podcast called Exceedingly Persuasive. Yep. And what do you guys talk about on that podcast? Uh, we go over, so my co-host is Mackenzie Brennan. She is a lawyer for the New York Supreme Court. And so we talk about news and politics, some cultural stuff, and we kind of talk about it through the lens of the law and like legal, the legal history. And then as a writer... It, I kind of come with a, a political cultural side of of, of it, and um, we have very sometimes very differing political views and stuff like that. So we kind of try to meet in the middle and, and figure out you know what we sh- what we share in our beliefs and stuff like that. That's cool. So I wanted to ask you something. So you you wrote this article for the Washington Examiner. Mm-hmm. I know you sometimes are on panels for Fox News, yep. and you write for the New York Post too, right? Yes. And yes. those are all pretty like a little bit conservative leaning. Uh, things. Yeah, it's sort of how do right. you like? How do you describe your political position? I it's something that I'm constantly struggling with because I don't really feel like there's I, ha- I I fit under a certain label. I have some very libertarian beliefs. I have some um, like I believe in universal health care. So it's there's like there are things on both sides that I kind of take from. Ultimately. Um, I would say that I'm just anti-authoritarianism. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> and that's the best way to describe Don't it. Fuck off, my man. I'm not necessarily. I'm not conservative socially or even really fiscally as much as I'm just. I just think that um, many of our systems that we currently live under, um, especially as it pertains to the criminal justice and and other systems that have been built that need to be reformed or abolished altogether and that's kind of where I come from it's it's more about what I see that I think needs to be fixed um and that's kind of what <laughs> what we talk about in the podcast a lot too 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that like a lot of us are probably a little bit more, I don't even want to say center. It's not center, but it's just that things are so far one way or the other yeah. right now. It's hard for a lot of us out there in America to find exactly where we fall yeah. in certain things. And so I just was, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Like, and so many, the two parties don't work for so many people. And I think that um, the the way that our system has been carved out it leaves a lot of people feeling unrepresented. And I think that even if you don't identify as you know centrist or moderate, um, if you're like me, where you're kind of more politically homeless, you agree with certain things on both sides, but you disagree with a lot of things on both sides as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not, you know, a, there are good people on both sides the issue. It's a, I can see the systemic rot on both sides of, of, of the aisle and what our current system just isn't working for most people. We had gone to a, we had gone to a wedding recently, and we were talking a little bit oh, about yeah. Monica Lewinsky. And you were telling me that you were thinking about writing this article. And I think with everyone who lived through the Monica Lewinsky era, I you know I was young, I was very mm-hmm. young, but that was when I first learned you know really like I could place a face yeah. uh, with with the name whore, bimbo, mm-hmm. slut, tramp. Um, and and honestly, like that's what I was brainwashed to believe that she was the bad guy, and being so young, like that's what I really held on to, and even yeah. held on to for a long time. Like even wrote like lyrics of, you know, us being reformed whores. Yeah, I've written song you know song lyrics about like, well, the biggest reformed whore we know is Monica Lewinsky. Yeah, and then I was reading up on her, like even Beyonce ha- reference her references her in one of her I songs. Think she says that. I think she said in an interview that over 40 rap songs have lyrics that reference her. And she comes at that with good humor. I think Mm -hmm. that she kind of sees, you know, that it's just, it is kind of part of her story. Uh, But no, you are not the only ones who use her as inspiration for (laughs) song lyrics. But so uh, why did you now want to write about Mm. Monica Lewinsky? So there was kind of a double side of this. Um, For a long time, the last, I mean, a long time, last, the last couple of years, especially as, um, as we've been kind of rediscussing what, what the balance of power in relationships looks like and, and how women previously were treated during these kind of scandals. Monica is kind of the poster child of being the face of a scandal and getting, getting the majority of the, the punishment and the consequences because she was a woman mm-hmm. and because <laughs> we, uh, we don't treat women who are caught up in sex scandals well in our society. The society has started looking back on that scandal differently. And in the last couple of years, people, more people have started talking about it. And I think that as someone who um, considers myself a feminist and considers myself, I, I care about how women are mistreated and especially how women are held accountable for the actions and thoughts of men. Realizing how poorly Monica was treated and how Bill Clinton got away with mm-hmm. his entire image was rehabilitated, it just struck me as incredibly unfair. And a lot of young women I know, women on the right and the left, saw it as well. They saw the witch hunt that was mm-hmm. the Clinton affair. And so I, I think that that's actually something that a lot of women that I know talk about in circles by ourselves how poorly Monica Lewinsky was treated. 
And I think also what's so interesting about the Clinton one specifically is that we like love to villainize the right, right? It's really mm-hmm. easy to like take this conservative guy who talks about God and all the time and then, you know, is inappropriate, gets a, you know, has an abortion with this like young mistress yeah. or something, right? But then for the liberals to have to grapple with this notion that, you know, their their God, <laughs> this, mm-hmm. at one point he mm-hmm. was like, everyone mm-hmm. loved Bill Clinton, uh, that he is... Um, a sexual predator. Yes, and that was that was something that they that the left didn't f- want to face for a long time. Um, Democrats really cherished Bill Clinton as this very charismatic, likable, popular, incredibly popular president. I mentioned it in the story, but he actually left office with one of the highest <laughs> popularity ratings in history, and. It's when you look at the contrast of that between how he was, excuses were made for him many, many times, and she was thrown to the wolves. Yeah. yeah. And as a child, I mean, she was yeah. so young. And that's actually another reason why. So I, I've been talking about this a lot personally in, in, in groups with other women. And then Seth Mandel, who is the, uh, he's the online editor at Washington Examiner. He used to be the opinion editor at The Post. So we knew each other. And he reached out to me and said, I have this idea for a story mm. and I want you to write it. <laughs> and he said, I think it'd be cathartic for you to write because it's like I'm constantly yelling about this in my <laughs> private life. So I might as well yell about this <laughs> for a magazine. And Which I mean, you got the cover, right? I, I mean, did, like, yeah, did. The, <gasps> that cover. And I didn't know that until the week before it came out. but And the article is called uh, Monica Lewinsky Gets the Last Laugh, right? Mon- the, on, on the Magazine, it's called Monica's Moment. And okay. then online, it's Monica Lewinsky Gets the Last Laugh. Okay, and so everybody read it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, if you want to check it out, it's Washington Examiner is the place where it's published. But it, what was really important to me when I wrote that was not just that I talk about how the Democrats treated Monica poorly, but how she was used as a political pawn for the right as well. And the right doesn't have clean hands in this at all. Right. And so it's, you know, they were gleeful that this scandal broke and that Ken Starr, who was the uh, special counsel in that case, he was, they, they interviewed her and asked her about incredibly specific details mm-hmm. of the affair. And it was ha- having her, she was 24 at the time, describe, I mean, she would have been a little, I think she may have been like 25 at that point, but um, she, they were having her describe very intimate sexual acts where they took place moment by moment, having her walk through these, these uh, encounters. And they released that report to Congress with the instruction that it should not be released to the public because it was so detailed. Mm-hmm. And then under Newt Gingrich was the Speaker of the House at the time. The, the report was ended, ended up being released. And the right was extremely excited about this because it was incredibly embarrassing for the president. It was also incredibly embarrassing for Monica Lewinsky, but no one cared. I mean, that's one thing that really stood out to me, like reading your article. And then I went back and read the, the article that you referenced in the cut that you had mm-hmm. read. And um, that one of the things that's so upsetting to me about all this isn't just that she was like publicly humiliated, mm-hmm. which is terrible. But it was like her entire life was derailed. Yeah. And she went from being this, you know, 
she was saying in her own words was like, I was a smart woman that had promise and I had gotten this job that was really hard to get in the White House and I had all these like opportunities ahead of me and all of that just like disappeared yeah. because of his actions really. I mean, yes, she participated, but she was really young and he was her yeah. boss and he's a grown up and he's married. And, and the president. Yeah. I know better. Yeah. Yeah. Something that struck me. So I'm 23 and when I, while writing this piece, I realized that she was 22 when mm. the affair started. She was 24 when the investigation was taking place. I am right in the middle of where she would have been at that time. And imagining dealing with the fallout that she experienced, the humiliation and the, um, you know, just she got a scarlet letter for the rest of her, mm -hmm. up until 2015, up until she kind of started changing the narrative. Well, one thing that I was shocked at is she said that there is, hey, there's never been a day that goes by that, that her name isn't in the press. Mm -hmm. There's uh, every single day they reference Monica Lewinsky and the scandal somewhere yep. online. Imagine what that Google alert would look like. <laughs> I know. I wonder oh if God. she sets it and like really reads <laughs> it. Like, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, going back to Bill Clinton, um, some article I was reading, they were saying how he, he got away with just like being the naughty boy. Yeah. Like how men can just be, Oh, that that little kid, mm -hmm. you know, tap them on the on the yeah. Hand in my and he's like call it. He's he was a fifty something Peter Pan. It's yeah. this yeah. this he had this boyish charm, and because of that, the Democrats kind of gave I, during the Clinton affair. The documentary. There's this one scene where someone, it's some pundit, an older man, obviously, because of course it would be, um, <laughs> is talking. He's doing a he's doing a TV hit, and he starts talking about how. Well, you know, the job is hard and the nights are lonely and maybe he just sees oh. this adoring thing. He called her a thing. It's adoring right. thing who's just there and she's, you know, it, and it's this, he's explaining away why someone, he was 30 years older than her at the time. Mm -hmm. And he was explaining away why someone who should know better was actually not at fault and she was the hussy who lured him yes, into like having this who affair. then do you blame then you then of course the blame falls mm -hmm. on her if it's not on him the yeah other thing that's so interesting to me about this because you were saying like uh I, don't, I'm, I was trying to remember, like, how did I see her and what was my thing with her? And honestly, you, like... you were in D.C. when it was happening. Well, and more than that, even beyond that, my mom was working for the government and she worked in an agency where um, the boss of whatever the agency was always a political appointee. So whenever the president would change, she'd get a new boss. So it was kind of disruptive, and mm -hmm. depending on if she liked her boss or not, she would you know, be interested in having someone new in office or whatever. <laughs> uh, but I remember very specifically her talking about how she voted for Bush, and she's very liberal. She was never a Republican, yeah. but she voted for Bush because uh, Clinton had such a bad reputation for being... Um, a womanizer, yeah. even as a governor, that yeah. she was like, ugh. Like, all of her female friends in government were like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, please not this guy, please not this guy. So he already, like, people knew yeah. that he was difficult in that way. And, and they let him get away with it, you know? There, it's not just about Monica. The piece itself was centered on Monica and, and kind of the way society treated her, but it's not just about Monica. When it comes down to it, Bill Clinton had a history of not just sexual harassment but sexual assault. accusations of sexual assault and sexual abuse and you know that Kathleen Kathleen Wiley Juanita Broderick um, Paula Jones those women were equally if not more 
humiliated and uh, criticized by the press and painted as dumb trailer trash bimbos. These are just women who want who are after Bill Clinton. And that was the narrative for years. And it wasn't. And the thing is, these women really didn't have a lot of allies because in many ways, the left hated them and the right sort of used them in many ways. Mm -hmm. And so they really were just kind of left to flounder. And especially with Monica, uh, she right after the right after the investigation she sort of she sort of disappeared for a while she ended up going to the london school for economics i believe and she got a degree in a uh, social psychology and she came back and tried to get jobs and during that time the she was such a recognizable face such a recognizable name and this history had been tied to her specifically. It was the albatross around her neck mm -hmm. that Bill Clinton never had to answer for. Right. right. So. It's like he knew, we knew he did it, whatever. Mm -hmm. But like it was like it was I mean, it's interesting how it was not until that book deal that he was pushing around mm -hmm. with that whatever mystery. James Patterson. Yeah, yeah. It was such a <laughs> weird book. So weird. It was like the president's it was like it was, it's a mystery novel that apparently he co-wrote. But it's just I it's just a very weird choice at that mm. point in time to write this book yeah. anyway and then also he didn't even expect anyone to ask and the me too movement's like in full swing <laughs> and he's like what you're asking me about he it's like you angry are not when he, get he, caught, he caught. probably yeah. was well the one thing that um i think it was the vanity fair article that she wrote when mm -hmm. she encountered ken star yeah at gramercy park uh restaurant in here in new york um and that she kind of like she confronted him and kind of like the way that she left it, it she left it open perfectly for him to be able to apologize mm -hmm. for her mm -hmm. and he just said it was an unfortunate yeah. incident or whatever and so ken Starr has never apologized bill clinton has never apologized to her yeah he's apologized publicly i think Publi once or twice but, but never to, never to her to her personally. and it goes back to like she's apologized every single day yeah. since the incident she regrets everything but these men we talk we had an episode about how women apologize so much more than men do mm -hmm. and it that just like was so blaringly obviously that men can get away with fucking murder and never have to apologize yeah. for it. And us women were so empathetic and compassionate and just aware of our actions and willing to take the fall for it yeah. too. Sometimes not even necessarily willing, but we're always the scapegoat. Right. We're the expected scapegoat. to take the fall for yeah. it. Yeah. And I think that something that, something that really hit me when I was researching this is that it wasn't just about, it wasn't just that, he was a Democrat and he was likable. It's that our society genuinely thinks that in situations where there's an affair, especially with a married man, mm. the woman is always at fault. That's our society really truly believes. And it's, it's, it goes back to like this boys will be boys rhetoric. It right. goes, it goes back to like, even you know, when, I, when I was growing up, it was, you need to be careful about what you wear so you don't lead mm -hmm. boys and men astray. Uh, it's, you know, how it's, it's even like, it goes down to like how short was her skirt? You are, like, women are expected to women are held accountable for the thoughts and the actions of men in our lives so much. And it, it, that extended to this. It's society thought that she was responsible. Even there was a, an interview with Bill, not an interview. He, it was um, on Bill Maher's show, Politically Incorrect. He mm -hmm. said, I think Monica should be the one to apologize for this. She's the homewrecker. She's the one who blackmailed the president, which wasn't true. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And it was, but that's Bill Maher. And right. that's, and um, there was these, these very well-known people on the left who now would probably consider themselves feminist allies mm -hmm. 
railroaded her because that's just how society saw her at the time. She was a homewrecker. She was a bimbo. It didn't matter that she was 23. She was at fault. Right. So. Mm. It's interesting, too, how then, I think in that Cut article, they were also talking then beyond into, like, how do we reckon with all this Me Too stuff now, too, especially mm-hmm. as like liberals and you know, conservatives or whatever. Um, but that whole thing that happened then with um, Al Franken. Yeah. How then right. you can't win because on the one hand, <laughs> they they there's a lot of fault on liberal women for not stepping in at the time and protecting Monica and saying like, wait a minute, like, yeah, you're the one that is having an affair on your wife, not yeah. her. And a lot of liberal women also got angry at Hillary because then she was defense. She was standing by her man. And yeah. then that was got very complicated. But then when Kristen Gillibrand steps up and says, hey, we have to hold everybody accountable to the same standards, then everyone's mad at Kristen Gillibrand. And I don't I mean, it's it is very all these men have gotten us into such shitty <laughs> positions and it's getting so messy and we just have to do some housekeeping, I guess. But like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, and I feel like weird about it. Even the, in the Al Franken thing, I feel really weird about because I think he kind of fell on his own sword too. Mm-hmm. There, Well, I was right I during know. the, it was when Roy Moore was running for Senate and people were comparing apples to oranges mm-hmm. because obviously the allegations against Roy Moore were much, much worse. Right. And, I think that Al Franken sort of became a sacrificial lamb, even though I disagree with what he's accused of doing. And I think that, you know, he should have known better. There's, there is a point where there, the the Democrats needed to prove that they were not like Republicans and they wouldn't let him get away with it. And, but then we lost this great fighter, you know, it's really hard. I mean, what a messy, and it also reminded me then of like Hillary's campaign, like Bill messed up Hillary's campaign Mm -hmm. too, because then when they, the, all this stuff yep. came up about Trump and his like sexual right. whatever, she's defending her husband who's done some of that stuff too. And yeah. like, how, it's so messy. Right after the grab him by the pussy tape came out, the, <laughs> President Trump during a debate, I don't know if you remember this, but brought Juanita Broderick and Paula Jones right. to one uh, of the debates and right, sat right, right, in right. the front row. And that was uh, incredibly <laughs> pointed. It, it's He's basically saying, my hands aren't clean, mm-hmm. but hers aren't either. Mm-hmm. And even though she did not do that because she defended her husband, she was seen as equally culpable. And that's another, it's, it is, it's, a, it's another double standard of, you know, she is this, she's saying she's this champion for women, but she criticized yeah. these people in, you know, during the 90s. And I, I do think she handled it poorly, but yeah. ultimately... She was also in a lose-lose situation yeah. because, like, what does she where What yeah. what was the answer for her on that? Being one? married to Bill Clinton that. is a yeah. lose-lose situation. <laughs> I do wonder who Monica Lewinsky voted for. Mm. <laughs> do you think she had in voted 2016? For, yeah. Do you think she voted for Trump? No. Or Hillary? No, I don't think she voted for Trump. She may not have. I, personally, I think that it's much more likely that she just didn't vote. Mm-hmm. She may have voted for Hillary, but just knowing her politics, like even during this scandal in the middle of it, she didn't want him to be impeached. She protected Bill Clinton for a really long time Mm -hmm. and tried not to cooperate with Mm -hmm. investigators because she was worried that he would be impeached. And I think that she kind of, I think that she was a Democrat first in a lot of ways. I don't think that she would have voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. And I think she probably would have seen him as, Mm -hmm. you know, a sexual predator who mm-hmm. was accused of doing many of the same things. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think she would have, no. Personally, I have no idea, obviously, what she, but I don't think she would have mm-hmm. voted for Trump. 
Well, so Monica Lewinsky, she kind of got, stepped out of the shadows mm-hmm. in 2014. 15, 15 was when she started doing big, big talks. Yeah. Okay. And she, the reason why was because of the college student who killed himself. Tyler Clemente. Right. He was, um, he was a kid who, I think in 2010, he was caught, his, his roommate filmed him becoming intimate with another man and posted it online and he ended up killing himself because of the subsequent internet shaming and you know you know how the internet works and she saw herself in his story and she said that she was talking during her 2015 TED talk about sort of why she was coming back into the fray as she put it was that she was seeing how the internet was being used daily to do what happened to her in 1998. Mm-hmm. We get the, we like see, we see these people who have done things that either we think are wrong or are deserving of shame in some way. Mm-hmm. And we just put them through the ringer every day. You like, There's a tweet that says um, every day on Twitter, there's one main guy and you never want to be that guy. Wow. I think that's like true out of the whole internet. Like every day there's a new person who, <laughs> has either messed up in some way or just did something embarrassing and we just read them because that's what the internet does. And she saw that becoming more rampant. And she said that in 2010, when it happened to Tyler Clemente, she was talking to her mom about it and her mom started sobbing because she remembered when Monica was going through that and they had her shower with the door open. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't leave her alone because they were worried she was going to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And then you see it happen with Tyler Clemente. So she, I think that she kind of realized that her story didn't have to have a, a, a sad ending where she just mm-hmm. disappeared and never, was never heard from again. She could take control over mm-hmm. what her story looked like and change that narrative and use it for, to help others mm-hmm. and become a positive force. I think that's what she's mm-hmm. trying to do now. So, I think that that's. But I mean, talk about strength. Oh. I mean, because the, the thing is, I do think about like all that internet stuff and how yeah. you know your name gets tarnished for this or that or whatever. And I'm, uh, my feeling has always sort of been like, ah, you never come back from that. How do you come back from mm-hmm. that? But to be able to like come back from it yeah. is really, I think, gives me a little bit more hope for everybody mm-hmm. out there that is on the internet, like, which is <laughs> all of us. And if anybody, God forbid, makes a misstep, you yeah. know. Uh, that there is there is a chance for some redemption. No, absolutely. I think that she, what surprises me is that she has done this with such grace. She does acknowledge that she played a part and, and that she's, and she is sorry for that. But she also is not, doesn't carry around that anger. She carries around a lot of trauma, I think, because of what happened to her, but she's, She's not hardened. She's not cynical. She is extremely gracious and kind in a way that most people who have been through what she's been through might not be. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's one of those it's one of those things that makes you want to treat people that strangers on the internet or whatever with more kindness and also realize that it's I actually in, in a, a couple like two years ago I wrote a, a column about how um, the 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 pub, the culture of public shaming on the internet. It's sort of like throwing gasoline on your neighbor's house fire and expecting it not to reach your door. Mm-hmm. When we contribute to this culture where no one, there's no grace, there's no ability for redemption, we don't see them as human beings, it 
it builds and it becomes a cycle and you never know when you or someone you love can end up in that cycle. So I think that if there is a lesson from all of this, it's treating people with some grace, Mm -hmm. even when they're going, even when they've misstepped or even when they're going through something like a humiliation like that. Yeah. Well, the person that comes to mind right now that is just going through it on the internet as I was coming over here I just saw a new thing on Twitter but Shane Gillis the comedian who got hired at SNL and then quickly fired at Mm -hmm. SNL do you as a journalist have your colleagues been writing articles about him or taking a real stance yet or I mean Uh, yeah the I'm sure that the post has I haven't really seen that I think that I think that on the right there tends to be the thought that there, you can't necessarily just throw people away because of things they said in the past. I think with with him specifically, his comments were extremely recent, and I do think that and very very racist. Yes, yes. very very racist. <laughs> like, it's not, not like joke. ten years not ago. Funny. Yeah, last year and it was yeah. racist and not funny. Yeah. Yes. So I think that you know there is. So should he have lost his job? Yes. Is there still room for redemption there if he can what, what am I looking for? Well, apologize. Yeah, apologize in a way that's actually believable. I know he did kind of did, but and maybe, you know, there are those who would say that people will never be satisfied and some people won't. But the thing is, is that like there's there have to be consequences. And I think losing his job at SNL was mm-hmm. a consequence. And then there has to be some kind of um, sincere apology and show that you genuinely see what ha- you see what you did wrong and you want to you want to remedy that. If you double down, I mm-hmm. think there is, you're kind of, you're, if you double down, you're showing that you don't actually think what you did was wrong, mm-hmm. you know? And he, in, in some ways I think he's done that. Um, I still think he's a human being. And so it's, I think criticizing him and calling him out is one thing and he should be called out, mm-hmm. but also just, keeping in mind that just like keeping his humanity in mind. I think that's, that's more of what we need to do yes. when, mm-hmm. as we are criticizing people, as we are pointing out that what they've done is wrong, just keeping their humanity in mind and trying to just having a little bit of understanding, even if you are very angry, which mm-hmm. I, there, you, there are, you have a right to be angry. He, what, what he said was very racist. What yeah. he did, again, not funny and very racist. Yeah. And I think with comedy, especially it's people think that, like political correctness is ruining comedy. But if you look at comedians like Elsa Schlesinger, sorry, I can't remember her last name, uh, Ali Wong, um, even like John Mulaney, they can be very funny. And, you know, Ali Wong makes jokes about how she, feminism has ruined everything and she just wants to be a housewife all the time. And it's really <laughs> funny. It's really funny. And it's more about you can, you can be quote unquote politically incorrect. Just don't punch down. Right. You know, right. just like be funny about it and don't right. punch down. There are so many ways you can do that in creative ways that y- that don't involve doing an Asian American accent in mm-hmm. a horrifically racist way. You know, right? So it's funny. Yeah. I was reading an article about someone had interviewed someone else that had auditioned for SNL and had met Shane and all this stuff, yeah. and they were just sort of getting some background mm-hmm. information mm-hmm. about what was your experience Ooh, with this? the deets. There wasn't very <laughs> much juicy stuff. Hot there. Goss. But they were then talking about how 
he, he everyone keeps saying, well, it's edgy humor, it's edgy humor. And I loved the guy, the comparison that this guy used, because he was like, just making racist, a white guy, a white straight guy making racist, sexist, homophobic jokes is not edgy. It's yeah. not right, edgy. Right. He's like, but what is edgy? He's like, I want to see more of it. And you you may not know this reference, but um, Dave, Dana Carvey used to do this, like when he auditioned for SNL, he used this joke, this song, he just started singing this, like, chopping broccoli, chopping broccoli. I mean, that is taking a risk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. having your chopping broccoli song be your audition song and like getting people to laugh with that. Uh-huh. Yeah. That is, that is taking a risk. That's being silly. That's being fun. Right. That doesn't hurt anybody, but you're, you know, like, and that may not be your bag or whatever comedy yeah. wise, but I thought that that was a good example of somebody like, that's a risk. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Do right. Being creative yeah, with being your humor. Creative yeah. And, yeah. Well, so the Shane Gillis thing had, had got me in a kind of a heated conversation with a buddy of mine about journalism and, really? and just how um, these young journalists, mm-hmm. uh, everything is so black and white these days yeah. and um, that people are taking such extreme stances on cancel culture and yeah. and that these young kids are coming out of these fancy colleges with being trained to write specifically mm-hmm. one way. And I was like, I, I mean, I, ho- I, I don't, I don't believe that. I yeah. don't think, I do think that some articles have come out that are extremely oversensitive and, and I do, you know, I mean, I think that's up for debate. What, yeah. where, where are we headed in journalism right now? And as you mm-hmm. are, you know, you're, you're going to be the next big thing, honey. <laughs> Well, you we'll really about are. That. You're so talented. I'm like the next medium thing right now and then they'll work from there. <laughs> um, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's actually my, my, my path, my career path has been really weird because I was homeschooled. I ended up going, doing dual enrollment at a community college for a couple of years, but didn't end up getting a degree because I was only uh, taking classes in what I was interested in, which was writing. And then I moved and I planned on going back to school uh, and then I got a job in New York. I was basically an intern for National Review. And I got so I got that when I, I moved here when I was 19 and started doing that. And I was I kept thinking, like, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go back to school. And I actually got accepted into the political science program at University of Colorado. And I realized I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to take four years and go back to school. Where are you from? Are you from Wyoming? Wyoming yeah, to New yeah. York City at nineteen. It was it was a it was an wow. experience, oh, guys. Yeah. It was yeah, it was a the culture shock. Doesn't even begin to cover <laughs> it. But um, so it was. So I had this like very different. I didn't go to journalism school. Um, I I don't really know. I know when I talk to kids who are in in college right now um, or just graduated, I can see that it's very clear where our paths you know, mm. kind of took off. So they, I think they do, they do have a certain mindset, but I think it's unfair to categorize them all as, as you know, that one. I don't, they don't all fit into a box. Um, I'm not exactly sure what that, what that education looks like mm-hmm. now. Um, but I think that, I do think that a lot of, a lot of the time any, it's not, it's not just an age thing either. It's just the way that the 24 hour news cycle works and the way that opinion writing works and just you, you want to get clicks. So you may write something that's just the hottest of hot takes that you know is going to get clicks right. that you have to, ha- you have to have something that's fresh and that's different from everybody else. And so I think that that lends itself to people being extreme and whatever, whatever side they fall on, you know, it kind of, 
because they want to get an opinion that will get people talking, they might be a little more extreme than they would have 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. It is, it's, it's media is so oversaturated and it's so based off of getting clicks that I think that's, yeah. Even if the individual writers don't necessarily feel that way, they feel pressured to kind of hype themselves up, you know, they may have like, they may have an opinion that was a little bit more nuanced and then you put it Mm. in this way that is so extreme. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a feeling though, because things go in cycles, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, I just have this feeling that we're just gonna, we're becoming so starved for nuance and so starved for something a little more honest and yeah. like true. Mm. And I think that mm. in the next, I don't know, 10, 20 years, we're going to see another shift, I think. Where I people, hope cause, so. Because part of what I think happens too is like in any kind of market, if there's a, a, a hole somewhere, it has to be filled. And mm-hmm. right now, things are so extreme to the right and to the left that there's this real big hole now in like any kind of centrist or nuanced mm. like yeah. news feed. Which and where pe- a lot of people, people fall. There's going to be room. Yeah. There's going to be room for somebody to start some publication that's like we are the bipartisan news source right. now, and it's not NPR. It's going to be very, very yeah. And it, and it won't be bipartisan in the sense of like we'll have people from the right and from the left. We're just going to have like some regular people being like, <laughs> I don't believe in. Some you know, dad this, from Colorado. Yeah, sure. <laughs> some I mean, dad. I can see it. Or even just some yeah. like kid from NYU even. Yeah. It's like super liberal school just going like, mm-hmm. I can't with this anymore. Because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. your your political stance right now, what you're saying, I think is, like we were just saying, mm-hmm. it reflects so much, so many more people than mm-hmm. we allow ourselves to realize. Yeah. So... No, I really hope that our conversations can become more nuanced. I think that we are just drowning in these opinions that are are really detrimental to um to just public discourse in general. I don't I think it's really hard for people to admit that they disagree with whatever their side whatever opinion their side has come up with mm-hmm. that, that there's whatever stance that they have. Um it's because it's 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 so tribal at this point yeah. mm-hmm. that like if you disagree you're like not being loyal to the tribe I feel like that's really Uh, no for sure and I think that that that's just not sustainable um and we see that in in how angry people get at the other side about everything and that's that's been it's been boiling for a while but I think it really hit a hit a peak in 2016 and um I don't know I don't know if that's going to change in the near future. Yeah. You know, well, it's interesting because that comes back to Monica Lewinsky, where mm-hmm. the tribe was was really upset with her for speaking out then again in like right before the election. Yeah. And they were like, "What are you doing? You're messing it up for Hillary." It's like, yeah. well, wait a minute, we're still back to the square one, which is that her husband is the one that caused mm-hmm. all these problems in the first place. Why are you trying to? You know, you're supposed to be on my side. Yeah, and see, it's, I was one of the ones yeah. that was like, "Shut up, Monica." You're going to fuck this up for Hillary. I was totally guilty of that. And then I watched the TED Talk. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sobbing in bed and then shared it with all everyone I knew of like, wait a minute, guys, hold, hold up. Yeah. And but it's that it's that human. Like once you see them as human. Right. And they're not just this uh, this caricature that you that you were taught to believe it's it becomes so much harder to be angry. And then you just see it's like this. It taps into this empathy where it's like how can I, it's just, it's just, she's just a person. She's mm-hmm. just a person who made a mistake when she was 20, 22, 22 years old. She was a baby. And it just seems like 
she has been paying for that for 20 years Mm -hmm. and he didn't have to like I said he like well well, her life was just derailed completely and she was the butt of jokes really bad bad jokes just like really (laughs) just I mean Conan (laughs) O'Brien had some terrible jokes about her oh Jay Leno was yeah Jay Leno was the worst but they all they all made jokes about her and during John Oliver did a great interview with her Mm -hmm. this year um, which I encourage everyone to watch. It it was it was wonderful. But he actually acknowledged he that he, uh, during not during the time at, not during the nineties because he wasn't in the U.S. But like ten years later, there was a segment and I, there was some there was some graphic that was derogatory. I can't remember what it was, but he apologized on the show for that and his part in it. And then did this great interview with her and talked about public shaming on the internet and and how that you know, destroys people's lives and all this stuff. And it was just really, I think that um, she has become this embodiment of what redemption looks like Mm -hmm. for so many people. And, you know, I think that you were talking about how you were taught to see her a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I think she's changing people's minds. She Mm -hmm. changed your mind. I think Mm -hmm. she changed, she's changing a lot of people's mind of who she is and, and, and what happened. And one side of the story has been told all this time. And it was told by the Democrats and by the media. And now she gets to tell it herself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as a result, she can help change people's minds about lots of different mm-hmm. people that are in positions like her, um, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, gossip. Is she married or dating anybody? She's not married. I don't know if she's dating anyone. I'm sure um, it doesn't help with your dating life. Either. Yeah. It's I. Which I hope that changes I think that she I mean if she wants it to but I, I see I, I I think that oh I really want her to be with like like Brad Pitt or something <laughs> that'd be amazing I mean yeah if he's just, she just like learned. ends up with if, if somebody fucking hot as hell and good to her yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it has to be someone good to her we just have such like we have such high standards for Monica Lewinsky in this house. I know. I know. I'm, I'm getting. I'm best. actually getting a cross stitch made that <gasps> says in like it's one of, like one of those like house memes. Like, have you seen that on Twitter? But it's like in this house, we love and support Monica Lewinsky. Oh, I'm getting that for my apartment. I'm so yes. excited. Oh my uh, god. But yeah, it's. I think that I think it did completely derail her love life in many ways. It's. I think that's kind of a side issue to a lot, like a lot of what she experienced, but it is it, it is a side effect. I think that she, even um, I can't remember which feminist author or something at the time in the Clinton affair, she's talking about how she turned on the TV and there was this there was this feminist author who said, "Can you imagine your son marrying Monica Lewinsky?" Hmm. And she started sobbing, and so it's sad. there was for yeah I think for a long time because this she had such a recognizable name, such a recognizable face. She just wasn't able to live around it. But I, I don't think she's dating anyone now. I don't think she's married. I know she's not married. Um, but yeah, let's, you know what? Let's operation let's get Monica Lewinsky a man hey, yes, <laughs> or a lady, whatever she's. Monica laid. And actually we have some, a way that could help her like get, get oh. her rocks off if she wants to. Because we, I don't know if you're listening, Monica, but we are sponsored by adamandeve.com. And look, if you if you want to go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code Horio. Oh my god. W, I love yes, it. Yes, Monica Lewinsky, if you're listening. <laughs> yes. You go can. to adamandeve.com uh, because free stuff is awesome. But free stuff to spice up your bedroom is even better, Monica. <laughs> and you can select almost any one item for 50% off, and then Adam and Eve loads up on the free stuff. All you have to do is enter code HORIO at checkout and get 10 
tantalizing free gifts. You'll get a sexy item for him, maybe Brad Pitt, we don't know, we'll find out. (laughs) A special gift for her, Monica, or whoever's listening, and a third item for you both to enjoy. Mm, That's very heterosexual. If you want a gift for her, a gift for her, a gift for him, a gift for him, whatever, it don't matter, uh, because you're also going to be getting six free spicy movies. (laughs) Movies! Movies! Oh my gosh, I love watching movies. Uh, And also... You can get free shipping, which is like the best free gift there ever was. That, truly. So, folks, I mean, first off, you're welcome. Just go to adamneve.com, enter the code HOREO. That's W-H-O-R-E-O. Wow. Anyways. I hope Monica Seamless. goes and uses <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Segways are my jam. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, truly, this has been unbelievable. And I really do encourage all of our guests to listen to your podcast. Again, that's exceedingly persuasive. It's got two X's at the beginning, like the chromosome, because we're creative that way. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. And go read all of our articles immediately. Mm-hmm. If we just Google Brooke Rogers. Yeah, you can. I, I always tweet out my articles. You can follow me. I'm BKE Rogers at Twitter. And if you want to read the Monica piece, it's a WashingtonExaminer.com, Monica's moment. Um, yeah, check it out if you want to. Do you, do you have any hot like story you're working on now that you can share? Or, or? no, I'm actually I'm kind of on the hunt for my next my Ooh. next hot take, as it were. But do you oh. have like specific things that um, you're hired to write? about or so are you like my actual position at the post is I mostly do like I edit other copy um mm-hmm. I I write whenever I feel like it or and like sometimes write for other publications as well but it's usually when I, I catch something that so it's often about um it's about cultural stuff usually like like public shaming or like women's women's issues I write a lot about mm-hmm. Uh, about women's treatment and things about like that. Sex robots. We did one on sex <laughs> robots. You shouldn't do one on sex. You I really mean, should. What is going on with those? Oh, it's things. crazy. Well, they up. they are uh, they they guess that in 2050, human beings will be having sex more with robots than actual humans. <laughs> So that makes me so <laughs> optimistic for my dating life. Oh, Excellent. Yeah. Great. Well, okay. if you need uh, to go to adamandeve.com, I will use, use your promo code, promo code for order. sure. Great. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you for so having awesome. me. That was so much fun. Thank I appreciate you. it. And listen to this song now by Bye. Reformed Horde. That's us.
a good spanking. I just want to know where it's coming from first. Well, that's reasonable. But I gotta tell you something, Marie. You know the worst kind of douchebags? The worst ones are the ones that you know them and you trust them and they seem like real nice guys at first and then they get all fucking douchey on you. Surprise douche! Nobody likes a surprise douche. <laughs> wow, Katie, <laughs> sounds like maybe you got more of a song to sing. Well, it's funny you mention it, because I do. And actually, it's about someone very specific. Oh, well, don't name any names. Oh, no, I won't name any names. That would be very tacky. So tacky. Yeah. Well, just say his name rhymes with pony. Uh-oh. I met a boy, said I was his joy. He courted me like a true gentleman. He opened doors for me. He spoiled me. We spend lots of time holding hands I started to like him It got real exciting He had my heart there and then Then he got me in the sack And said, I'm sorry, you can't come back Cause my girlfriend, she comes home around ten Singing high in yo There are douchebags wherever you go to name any names. Well, I thought I was being real sneaky about it. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Well, I got an idea. I'm gonna fix it right now. Well, this ought to be good. Listen up close to the more of my story. Only one of these tales is true. I'll let you decide which ones are lies. I'll just leave that up to you. But here's my advice. Boys, treat us nice. Get yourselves on the right track. Cause if you do me wrong, I'll put you in this song. It's my way of getting your back, right, Tony? Singing high, yo. There are douchebags wherever you go. Singing high, yo. Why won't they just let me be? Yeah, sometimes.